You're listening to an Ancient Futures podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I'm your host, Jamie Howison. Our community is a part of the Communities of Calling initiative with the Collegeville Institute. This is a multi-year project that encourages us to explore our own sense of vocation, both our community's vocation, but also the vocations or the callings that individuals might have who are part of St. Ben's. Well, as we began to plan for this year, we looked at the whole matter of being a church in an urban space. What is it about being in an urban space that helps our community to thrive? And so we decided we'd do a series of three, perhaps four, sessions in our Idea Exchange series, exploring the city. We begin with this one, our first, done strictly on Zoom due to the pandemic, in a session with Travis and Stephanie Unger of the Many Rooms Church Community. Now, Many Rooms is located oh, maybe a kilometer and a half from where St. Ben's worships, but it is very different terrain. For those from outside of Winnipeg, let me give you a brief glimpse. We're located at the corner of Broadway and Osborne, probably one of the most visible intersections in the whole city. Kitty Corner from the church building where we worship, All Saints Church, is the Manitoba Legislative Buildings, a grand edifice of governance. Just across Broadway to the south of us is the headquarters for the Canada Life Insurance Company. It's a big complex of buildings on a large acreage, all beautifully appointed. And then just to our east across Osborne is Memorial Park, which ties into the legislative buildings and is sometimes full of people tossing frisbees and suntanning. Sometimes it's festival space, sometimes protest space, with people camped out in protest of one thing or another. Just to our west is West Broadway. That's a mixed urban neighborhood with an array of housing options. There's increasingly more owner-occupied houses, people moving back into an older neighborhood and reclaiming. There's a little enclave called Armstrong's Point that's actually quite a wealthy area. There are rooming houses and apartment blocks and rentals and big old houses that have been divided into two or three different apartments. And there's a commercial stretch along the way with restaurants and a grocery store and offices and, well, another church or two actually along the way. So we sit at a kind of a crossroads between the downtown with government and business and retail and this old urban neighborhood that has been in distress but is moving and mixing and it's a vibrant neighborhood. Stephanie and Travis Unger and their community, just a kilometer and a half away, north of Portage Avenue, north of the University of Winnipeg, 
are in a different kind of area. That neighborhood has been far more distressed over the years. The street they live on includes a number of rooming houses as well as rental houses and apartments that are in various states of need and disarray. Yet they and their community have planted in that neighborhood to help see if they can't make it just a little better. Their goals in many ways are modest. They wouldn't impress some of the big funders who want to renew, 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 but rather it's be there in place. And even their business, which is in the world of rentals, has got some transformative possibilities in it. So I sat down with Travis and Stephanie, along with about 25 people from our community on Zoom, and we heard their story. And then we moved into question and answer. This podcast, you will hear basically just their opening story of some 20 minutes. It's the piece, I think, that really captures who and what they are and what their vision is. And as we listened, we wondered, well, where is our vision? Where is our future? What's our connection to the neighborhood? And so begins a series of idea exchange sessions, all of which will be podcast, as we wonder together, what does it mean to be in an urban space? And why is it that we thrive there? I'll turn it over to Travis and Stephanie now. My name is Travis. This is my wife, Stephanie. I thought what we would do is uh, just yak a little bit and tell you about ourselves. We're, we're Mennonites. We're part of the Evangelical Mennonite Conference. I grew up in that conference. and My dad's been a pastor in that conference for uh, pretty much my whole life. Yeah, so I, I grew up in a context where we were just between town and the reserve. And so growing up, I had a lot of Aboriginal friends and uh, didn't grow up like my um, my other cousins who grew up in southern Manitoba and Mennonite towns. The way my life path kind of went is I moved to the city for high school. I moved to uh, Ontario for work after uh, Bible school. I met this one here um, and we started dating. Should I tell your background story or do you want to tell it? I mean, I guess I could breathe. I'll, I'll interject with mine so it sure. doesn't sound like I can't speak for myself. <laughs> there we go. My parents were Wycliffe missionaries in Australia. So I spent my from four to 16 in Australia. And so did not grow up a Mennonite. I didn't know what a Mennonite was until we ended up in a little town named Rosenort. Uh, one thing I did know was that I, from young, is that I wanted to be a, min- a missionary. And well, I didn't maybe realize I hoped this, but I hoped that that meant somewhere warm and tropical because that seemed like a good idea. But when Travis and I were dating, we went to this Urbana missions conference a long time ago. And there I realized to my great sadness, I did not have any geographical calling to somewhere like that. And that that's where I learned about international student ministries and that I could get to know people from all over the world without right right then as a student. And so that led to me getting involved with international student ministries even before we were married. So yeah, just prior to, uh, to us getting married, I was working with Inner City Youth Alive, which some of you may know about in the North End. And I was their wilderness camping guy, uh, taking kids out into the God's classroom out there. And so, yeah, I was a full-time missionary, so to speak. Like we had to raise our own support. And Stephanie had to raise support with um, uh, InterVarsity with her work with the International Student Ministries. 
so I guess for the first couple of years of our marriage, we, I guess both doing our kind of our separate thing, but both in full-time ministry. And, and I think an important thing for us was we felt that God was calling us, I think individually, each of us independently. And then obviously, as we shared uh, together, we found that this was a, a common calling that God had orchestrated for us was to, uh, to what one of our friends said was to kind of quit full-time ministry uh, to do all the time ministry. So uh, we dreamed of sharing our life together with some of the folks that we've been doing programming for, uh, whether it be with international students or, or particularly like inner city youth and, and, and the folks that live in inner city. And so we, yeah, we ventured to buy as big of a house as we could find uh, to share our life. And, and again, we're, we're Mennonites. And so one of the, one of the foundations that's supposed to be a um, part of our, our understanding of living out our faith is to do that in community. And so we really wanted to develop this aspect of community. And so we bought a house on Spence between Sargent and Ellis. It was, uh, it's 4,400 square feet. We still live in it today, but that was our starter home. And houses were cheap back then. We should have bought the whole block, really. It was <laughs> such a depressed neighborhood and we could have bought the whole block. No, we, we, we had, we had, had no money. money. We had yeah. no money. There's that factor. So we had originally designated half the house for international students and the other half was simply for men. And it was a mix of um, my brother and some of his friends, university folks, who were wanting to kind of mess up their lives with folks. And so we wanted to have an intentional community living together. And so, yeah, there's 12 of us that live together here on Spence. And that was sort of the, the beginning. In, a, in the early days, it was very, um, we were naive and, and, you know, we still had lots to learn. But we, we thought we were going to be developing this awesome, awesome community that we could practice living out our faith in community and Kind of our philosophy was like, forget programs. We're done with programs. We just want to be a good neighbor. Like we felt that if Jesus came here now, he would just be a good neighbor with folks. Like he wouldn't have a, a yak and snack program with the neighbors or whatever. Like he wouldn't have to design anything. He would just, whatever the needs were, just try to be a friend. So we had a lot of ideals and, and ways that we thought that we could uh, bless and improve the neighborhood. And, and over time, we had to learn a lot of hard lessons that uh, were not so different from these people that were... Uh, that we're trying, that we feel that we need to minister to. And so, yeah, the whole idea of developing community and growing together, it has been, um, it's, it's not all been easy. There's been a lot of struggles and that, but that is what we feel is kind of our life work is to, um, to share our life. And we've had almost a hundred people living with us since, since 1999 when we bought our house. Yeah. All kinds of folks. And we've raised two kids. We have a son, Shadrach, who's 20 and he's now an electrical apprentice. And we have a daughter, Rachel, who's 17 and we grad, we hope we grad. She graduates <laughs> this year. She just got to pass her classes. Um, yeah, so we have the two kids that we've raised, and then we have, uh, of course, sort of our our host family as well. We've made room in our our uh, biological family to to share with other people that we live with as well. So yeah, that's a bit of the origin or the history of how we how we came into the neighborhood and how we uh, made a commitment to purchase a home and to live together with people here. And maybe I'll share a little bit of how our church came to be. Uh, when we moved into the neighborhood, we weren't alone. Even there was another household of girls who moved in. So we had kind of a guy's, more of a guy's house and they had a girl's house. And, and we would meet other people who were also living in the neighborhood and wanting to be intentionally following Jesus in the neighborhood. Uh, but we didn't, at the beginning, we didn't want to commit to being a church or committing to anything because we thought we should, we should see what the neighborhood needs. I, we're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> but anyway, um, what we did eventually start doing is meeting together as households of people who follow Jesus 
to support, to, we called it ice cream and prayer nights. And uh, we, would, we would pray for each other and support each other to live in this neighborhood and pray for the neighborhood. And eventually we realized that we were, most of us were doing all of our relational work and our, like our real following and serving in this neighborhood and in this group of people. But we were serving in other churches and I, I don't know, it didn't, it did not feel, I felt like I was modeling something I didn't want to model, which was you only have to be involved in church on Sunday. And so uh, that's when we started talking about, are we a church? Do we want to be a church? And one of the things we had to do around that time was when we first started in our home, we were young and cool and uh, our, well, at least we maybe thought we were <laughs> and, uh, our college and career age friends, you know, we were the place to go. It was really fun. But the problem would be that all of these people parachuting in from our suburban churches to hang out meant that, let's say, our international student friends who live with us or our neighbor, like people who weren't from our background, really didn't even feel comfortable. And so we made a decision to, for the ice cream and prayer nights and some of these things that eventually moved towards church to say, sorry, you can't come if you don't live here, <laughs> if you don't live in our, like, you're not part of this neighborhood. And so that was probably one of the, maybe the seeds or the, that became the DNA of our church is a really strong commitment to our neighborhood and to, to inviting people into community, not to parachuting in. And uh, so it's, it, we've been a bit of a weird church that way. People will call, sometimes people find out about us although we don't have a website and they will uh, if they're not from our neighborhood, which we don't, we're not trying to be rude, but we will try and find out where they live, what their interests are and maybe recommend a different church for them because we, we know that we can't be the kind of community that we might like to be if someone is far away and is only here for meetings. Cause our meetings are actually not what make our church so much. We have, we've, once we started meeting and having more house church type of gatherings, we eventually made a choice to stay as a, as a house church or a group of house churches, not because we thought other ways of meeting were bad, uh, which sometimes is the reputation house churches have, that they're just disgruntled Christians who have switched the pews for couches. But that wasn't the case. It was just that we sensed that there were so many places people could already go if they felt comfortable in that environment and that what we were finding out as we got to know our neighbors is that there was so much disconnection in our neighborhood, so many people who were estranged from their families. And as we got to know the rooming house culture, there's just, yeah, many people who have, who are very isolated and that it would be more of a family or a sense of belonging that people needed. And so we pursued the house church model so that we could develop a more of a family type of feel and be more involved in conversation so we could know what people's needs were walk alongside a little but we thought would be we thought we could walk alongside better in that model one of the reasons that we committed to place too was that we recognized we had a neighborhood that was in distress and that many people came and went there were even even in our own other ministries like it's common for a program to be started and then it ends and people I, we felt there was a sense of abandonment even from people who were wanting to do good and so we wanted to stay we wanted and we wanted to 
be so much a part of the neighborhood that the problems that were affecting it would be our own problems so that we would actually have the motivation to make a difference. And so that's been another part of what's been important to our church is to find out how we can be involved in the neighborhood. We've tried to be a part of our neighborhood association and we've been a part of doing a lot of block parties. She's a, she's the party planner. She loves planning things. She can organize a whole group of uh, volunteers to do amazing things. That's one of, one of her gifts. And so, yeah, we, I think we're the only block that does both a winter and a summer block party. We haven't now because of COVID, but the city usually curses when we come there to pull up the barriers, they have to dig them out. And who does block parties in the winter? Well, Stephanie does. So, so, so yeah, we have found ways to be part of the neighborhood and one of the needs that we discovered, and maybe that can lead back to you saying something, is the uh, is that housing is just a, a huge, has been a huge problem in our neighborhood. And actually, sadly, although it was really doing well for a while, it feels like it's, it's becoming an, an issue again. Do you want to share a bit about how we've been involved in housing? Like I mentioned, we had 12 people, and so we were automatically landlords, I guess, for those people. And and again, at the beginning, our philosophy was, well, hey, we're just going to be one big happy family and it's going to be koinonia. And, you know, we did some renovations and I'd let the tenants choose what color paint they want and what flooring they wanted. And then some of these international students just moved away right away. And we, we had to kind of realize that, okay, we do have, we are the ones paying the bills. We're the ones paying the mortgage and we need to, uh, you know, whatever. There's a bit of a shift in thinking, I guess, to, to realize that in order to be a good landlord, it's, it's, uh, it, it does take. I guess some decisions, <laughs> yeah, some responsibility, being a, being a boss, yeah, and owning up to that. So I guess over time, there were some opportunities right across the street from us. There was uh, two properties, two rooming houses that were in pretty rough shape. And so we thought if we have the capacity to borrow money to fix those up, and we also got some help from um, some government grants to provide low-income housing for for folks, we, we did that project. And so we had the two rooming houses across the street, and then... Uh, a number of years later, uh, New Life Ministries was uh, divesting some of their portfolio after Harry Lahotsky passed away. And uh, so they offered us or we, we negotiated a sale of two of their properties. And so we own two of the properties that um, that New Life used to have. And so now we're expanding our business to manage those. In general, we just felt it was a real, it was a way to make a big difference in someone's life uh, to provide them housing and maybe adopting some of that housing first model. You know, once people have, if they have a door and a roof, then they can now deal with other issues in their life. Like if their physical needs are looked after, then now they can move to their emotional and spiritual needs. And, and we want to be holistic again, not having this programmed approach to dealing with our neighbors, but more holistically trying to be Jesus to, to them, to be there to provide, to provide housing seemed like a really, good way to mess up your life with people and to deal with the bed bugs and the cockroaches and and all the issues of how they can't why they can't pay their rent or it's a challenging challenging work but it's a, a way to have positive influence in a lot of people's lives i guess and another thing too we had a lot of friends who had bought properties in the neighborhood and maybe as they began having families or for whatever reason they would move out of the neighborhood and then they had this uh, investment property that they wanted to rent out and so because we had some experience and they wanted us to help them manage those, those properties as investment properties. And eventually it got to the point where a few years ago, we became a real management company where the smart one here uh, took the training and uh, we're registered with the real estate board. And so we have a five stones Inc is our management, our property management uh, company that we spend a lot of time um, running, I guess, but that kind of all burst out of this idea of, 
yeah, wanting to meet a lot of the, the housing concerns and the need in the neighborhood to, uh, to provide good quality low-income housing for folks. What's interesting is that didn't become officially part of our church, although housing in general has been something that many people in our church have been have taken on in terms of having people live in their home with them or live in someone else's home with them and or purchasing a home and then renting it out. Uh, but in terms of being a, an urban church, we've talked a number of times over the years as a church of, you know, is there some big project that we should be doing together? Yeah, why are we here? Are we called to something particular? And it, we never seemed to find that. And what we, what, we come, what we came to the conclusion every time we'd have these conversations is that it felt like we were here to support each other to live here, but not to all have to get on board on the same project. And so we do housing and people, People in our church support us, and some of our tenants are part of our church. And, and other times, people in our church have heard of needs from our tenants, and they will they'll get involved informally. And others are nurses in in our church, or daycare workers, or or on EIA, and are getting to know their their neighbors as on on the front porch. And we've tried to see all of whatever we do, our work as our vocation, as being part of our church but not to formalize that, I guess. And lately for me, that really hit home when I, we, I needed to start working for our business. And I had never, I've always been in formal ministry work. And so I could check that box in my, on, you know, on my, I'm definitely a good follower of Jesus because I'm a missionary. <laughs> and then it was so interesting to, to work in the office doing finances for our business and realize Jesus knows about that too, actually. He, he knows numbers better than I do. <laughs> and, and that I could, I could actually do that as a follower of Jesus. And it was no less important for me to serve in an office doing books than it was to visit with someone and you know share my faith with them. And so that's been really helpful to be able to encourage others that whatever you're doing, if we, we can follow Jesus and encourage each other as a church to see our gifts and abilities as something God wants to use in our neighborhood and, and as members of a church. Maybe just to conclude our little thing right now, our, so our church has been around for a while now, maybe 2006 is when we officially, I think we joined a comp, the EMC conference. Anyway, we've been around a while and some of our ideals have not come to be. We, we are not a church that is nearly as reflective of the demographic of our neighborhood as we hoped to be. And it can feel like a failure. And we also haven't grown by leaps and bounds, right? Our house churches didn't multiply to the point that there's hundreds of them. We have fluctuated between three and five house churches for the last number of years. We have about 50 people in our group. And uh, it can feel like failure, but we also recognize we're a pretty weird group of people. And not everybody wants to be part of our church. That doesn't mean they don't want to follow Jesus or that we're doing anything wrong or that we don't have something to contribute. But we've, we've recognized that we can be good neighbors. And just this, I didn't tell you about this, but oh. just the other week we were talking in my accountability group that sometimes we're foul weather friends for some of our neighbors, that lots of people in our church have become people that when a neighbor is in trouble, or you know, is in a crisis that they know we're here, and that and that there's something that, that if we can't help, we will we will know someone 
who maybe can. And I'm not sure if we've gotten to where we need to as a church, but that is at this point where we're at, where we can, we are our own little distinct group within our neighborhood, hoping to be part of blessing it, not cursing it, and not reflective of everyone, but hoping to to be a welcome part. Well, that's just the first in a short series of Idea Exchange podcasts as we look at urban spaces. It'll be a different conversation next time, and that's good. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and whatever your church context might be, whatever your neighborhood might be, perhaps there's something that's been said by these two that will spark your imagination. This podcast, along with the whole long series of podcasts we've been producing since 2006, is available through Buzzsprout. There's a link in the show notes that will take you to that page where you can explore and explore and explore. In the meantime, I think we'll just give the closing over to Travis and Stephanie. As we launched into that Q&A, I said, Tell me, what do you know now? that you wish you'd known then? And this is how they answered. There still was this mentality of us and them. And I think that didn't serve us well in, in many situations. And, and, and being um, as pig-headed and thick-skulled as, as we are, I think we had to learn some, some hard lessons a few times to, to kind of realize that we're all, we're all people and we all have addictions and we all have, you know, whatever, whatever we thought was the terrible thing that we were going to help to, fix I, yeah i wish we'd been more mature i think at the beginning <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why i was silent for a while because i was like oh i don't think you can know some things until you've lived them 